Sisters, we're, we're just getting started. Some of us have teens, some of us have college age students, some of us have kids with kids, you know, and, and all sorts of things. Um, maybe our kids are already empty nesters. I don't, you know, so God is just so good uh, to allow us to be fathers. And uh, it, it is a great responsibility to be fathers. I'll, I'll tell you something that's uh, shifted in my mind lately, in my heart lately, that I'm just so thankful for is, um, this is going to sound bad, <laughs> so maybe I shouldn't say it, but, but, but here, here's what it is, is I've just like lately come to just appreciate the blessing of fatherhood to where I'm just like, you know, every chaotic trip, every restaurant thing where we embarrass ourselves with the tables around, like it's all such a blessing and I just smile about it. Like, um, and, and I, I look at the ways God has molded me and shaped me and according to my wife softened me through children, you know, and I'm just like, what a huge blessing to be a father. And so fathers, I hope you feel blessed today. I hope you feel honored today, both by your families and, and even by God. He, he wants to honor you fathers. And so we're just so thankful to have you uh, today. And uh, any visitors, it is just a, a blessing to have you here with us as well. Uh, we do just have a few things I, I want to mention. First, I want to mention our cookout was amazing. It was uh, such a great time back here. I, I look out and most of you already know it was amazing because most of you were there. We had a gigantic uh, turnout of, of, of our, our members being at the, the cookout. And so I just wanna say praise God and thank you for all of you that, that brought things and helped set things up and you know kept the games going and, and all of that. And uh, that was just our first time doing the cookout. So like it, it's, it's only gonna get better from here as we see more you know, uh, ways that we can improve. And I do wanna encourage you, like it was amazing to have so many of our members there uh, fellowshipping and, and enjoying one another. But more and more as time goes on, I, I want us to make this an outreach event where um, more of our neighbors, more of our family and friends are coming. Um, and I like all your friends and family, but especially those that need to know Jesus or, or need a church home. Um, I would just so love for that, that cookout to become uh, an opportunity to be doing the master's mission uh, through our church and to be sharing the gospel and making those connections and relationships. But huge success. Uh, and thanks again, Candy and Terry. They, they pushed that one across the finish line, got it going. Um, so very thankful to y'all for doing that. Uh, next thing I want to mention is uh, th this coming Friday, you might see it in your bulletin there, Friday, June 23rd, uh, there will be a coffee and dessert evening with Anna Russell, or some of you might remember Anna King, you know, she's now married, uh, but she, she is serving as a missionary uh, to college students, but international uh, college students that come, and, and uh, it would be amazing if you can attend that coffee and dessert time just to connect with her, support her. Uh, learn about her, her ministry. Uh, she'll be here next Sunday as well, and she'll give a short presentation, and we kind of have a, a special thing there as well. Uh, but uh, you, you'll notice there that, that if you'd like to sign up to, to support Anna in this and maybe bring a dessert, you can just contact Lauren Locke, and her, her phone number's in there if, you, if you'd be willing to bring a dessert to, to help that uh, uh, evening go well for her. Finally, I want to remind you, men, all men, if you desire faithfulness to God, satisfaction in God, and sexual purity, uh, this coming Saturday, we have another one of our Men Pursuing Purity Together meetings. This uh, meets here at the church this coming Saturday. 
uh, that's from 7.30 to 9 a.m. And it's, it's just us as men, the church as men coming together saying, we want to have a deep-rooted faith and satisfaction in God that, that produces purity in our lives. And so um, it's just a, a wonderful opportunity, no matter where you are, if, if, you're, if you're seeing great victory in this area or if you're really struggling, uh, we all need each other. And so, men, I want to encourage you to be here this Saturday. Uh, after that, we'll only have two more of these Saturdays. They're kind of an every other week thing. Um, so try to be here this Saturday, men, uh, to pursue purity together. Uh, also, just one, one more thing there, uh, the, the Deco Open House. This is um, our, our missionary partners, the Hattons, that were here uh, just a few weeks ago. Um, it, it's, it's their ministry um, to sell the products their people in India make. And so um, you can see the information about that there in the bulletin. But we are here not just to honor fathers, not just to, to, to be thankful for what God has, has done in this past week and what he's going to do, but to look to God's word and to be transformed by it, to look to the God who is glory and everything that he is and does, to worship him with our lips, to worship him with our minds, and to leave here worshiping him with our lives. That is our desire, and to bring others into that relationship with him through Jesus Christ. So would you join me together in prayer as we open this service? Father God, happy Father's Day. You are our perfect Father. God, you have cared for us. I guess I should rewind it. You have created us. You have cared for us. You've sustained us. And God, you have saved us through your Son, Jesus Christ, bearing our sin on the cross, defeating sin and death in his resurrection, and freely, fully giving righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. And so, God, we do so desire to worship and enjoy you, the all-satisfying, all-worthy God of the universe. Lord, you are all we need. You have accomplished the victory, and we have eternity to enjoy you. So would you help us to begin doing that even more so today? And I ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. With the world coming at us like a tsunami, it is good to begin worship with our hope. Let's stand together and sing this song.
true and one day you will return all our treasures here will fade so we long to see your face until then our hearts will burn how long oh lord y'all remember we sung that before sound familiar? Okay, good. You will conquer every evil thing, every sorrow, pain, and wrong. They will cease with your return, O King. How long, O Lord, how long? All our hopes are fixed on you. Your promises are true, and one day you will return. All our treasures here will fade, so we long to see your face. Until then, our hearts will burn. How long? How long, O oh Lord? 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 All our hopes are fixed on you, that your promises are true, and one day
Love you. We are moved by singing your praises. Now, Lord, we invite you to change our hearts through your word. We pray that you would strengthen our ability to be in the world and yet separate from it because of your grace. We give you our hearts now in Jesus' name. Amen. Please turn in your Bibles once again to Exodus chapter 20, verse 15. Exodus 20, verse 15. We are still moving through the Ten Commandments. And we actually hit this same commandment last week. But we are returning, it, returning to it again for reasons I will make clear shortly. It's Exodus 20, verse 15. You see it on the screen and hopefully in your Bible says this, you shall not steal. That is the, the command of God speaking to Israel from the mountain. And last week we focused on the individual dimension of this commandment. But this commandment was not just given to an individual or a few individuals. It was given to a nation to a society, and so this week we will look at the societal dimension of this command. But let's pray to the Lord and ask for his grace. Father God, we do ask that you would help us to hear your word, 
to be sensitive to your word, to desire our lives to be in conformity with your word, and to live by it, God. Help me as I, I preach and my friends here as they listen. God, we do want to live for you because Christ died for us and rose again in victory. And so we pray all this in his name. Amen. see some scary words up on the screen. <laughs> um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, as a pastor, I, I recognize that there are times that, that, there, that you can get so focused on society and the, the, the things going on out there that it can shape what you preach and shape, uh, you know, your whole ministry. And I, I don't want to be like that. I want God's word to shape what I preach. I want God's word to shape my ministry but ultimately, if God's word never intersects with what's going on out there, then what good is God's word in our lives anyway? And so we talk about stealing and socialism today. Now, today is Father's Day. And so fathers, I want you to think with me and mothers as well, future parents, all these, we can all think together. But fathers specifically, I want to ask you, what is your highest purpose as a parent? What, what is your highest goal to accomplish in the life and for the life of your child or children as their dad? I hope we have thoughts on that. <laughs> you know, this is something you do every day, fathers, like you, you dad them, you father them. You know, what is the purpose? What is the goal? Now, we, we might answer this question many different ways, you know, some more narrow, some more broad ways of describing the, the, these goals and purposes and things like that. But what, what I want to show you that I, I've thought about this week is I can narrow it down that as a father, what I uh, desire to do is to provide for my children. I want to provide for them in every way that matters. And that means I want to provide for them physically. I want to provide for them emotionally. I want to provide for them educationally. And most importantly, I want to provide for them spiritually, that they may know the God of the universe, have a relationship through the, with the God of the universe through Christ Jesus. So I want to do everything I can to set the stage for these things, that they are provided physically, educationally, uh, emotionally, and spiritually. But I've got to tell you something, fathers, all of that is being threatened right now. There is a cultural movement that seeks to remove our ability as parents, as fathers and mothers to provide in these ways that matter most and are so necessary in our children's lives. What is that movement? Socialism. Socialistic ideologies, agendas, and policies are invading the United States and many other countries around the world at an alarming rate. You hear that word socialism, but here's what I want you to understand is we're, we're going to talk more about what it is here in just a moment. But socialism isn't just, you know, a decision here and there. Socialism, when it is fully bloomed, is communism or totalitarianism. 
If, if you don't know those words, I'll just tell you totalitarianism means the government has complete control over every aspect of your life. That is where socialism leads. When it is fully bloomed, that is where it ends up. And so what that does is when the government takes complete control in those ways, it happens step by step, a little bit here, a little bit there, it removes the parent's ability to provide physically, emotionally, educationally, and even spiritually. We'll again see these things in just a moment. But I, I first wanna help you understand what socialism even is. And, and maybe the best way to do it is to say, America was not founded uh, as a socialistic nation. Uh, we could say America, at least in economic terms, would be what we know as free enterprise. And so I want to help you know what socialism is by comparing it with free enterprise. And I promise you this will have everything to do with God's word if you'll hang on with me because it, it just goes deeper and deeper. So free enterprise, what we generally experience here in the United States, uh, largely anyways, uh, it, it is marked by private ownership of industry, business, and production. Socialism the government owns those things. It's the government that provides, produces the goods and owns all of the businesses. Again, that's, that's when it's gone very far, uh, but that's where it leads. Free enterprise uh, is marked by the physical pro uh, provisions being earned within the family unit. What do I mean by that? Well, that means daddy goes to work nine to five, gets a paycheck and is able to put food on the table because of it, is able to put clothes on the back and pay the house payment and, and these things. It happens through work. It is earned within the family unit to provide for that family unit. In socialism, there, there is no earning in full-bloomed socialism, there is no earning, rather the government distributes provisions as they see fit. You get your food, your clothing, your housing, all from the government. Free enterprise is marked by parent-guided education. The parent decides what the child learns, how they are trained up. With socialism, it requires government-guided education, and it's required because they need to mold and shape the next generation to carry on their socialistic ideology, to, to benefit the group, as they say. They must fit the mold. Free enterprise encourages the family unit for training and influence. That's the understanding of free enterprises, that the, the, the father and the mother, they instill uh, a, a work ethic, they instill um, all, all of these, these influences on what that child becomes. Now get this, socialism seeks to dismantle the family unit, giving the government primary influence in the child's life. Child, young adult, all the way. I mean, they, they, they want that, again, that you can't, break the mold with socialism. It's, it's all about the community. And so you have to fit the mold of the community, what they deem as best. And finally, the last thing I'll mention, just these are in general, and, and of course with uh, socialism, this is as far as, uh, you know, it, it's somewhat extreme, but this is where it goes and we've seen it all around the world. Free enterprise encourages religion as the foundation of morality and virtue. 
free enterprise says, yes, it is good for people to believe in God, to trust in God, to, to put their lives under the law of God. Free enterprise says that socialism, on the other hand, condemns religion as the foundation and fountain of oppression and cruelty. I am not making these things up. This all comes from socialistic literature of their goals, their stated goals, as well as the goals that we have seen happen over and over again in history. And if you uh, look on the map and, and, and uh, look into different uh, political systems, there, there are many nations right now at different stages and you could go back to, you know, 1980, where they were just sort of dipping their toes in socialism all the way to the communistic totalitarian, totalitarian regime where Christianity, religion is not allowed, family units dis, fully dismantled, all of these things. And so, again, I, I, want, I want you to, to help you understand that, that, that this is no small thing. We just hear about socialism and, and by the way, if you don't believe that this is happening here, I know this is a long intro. I just, this is so important that we understand I'm not just talking about some straw man out there, something that doesn't really exist. And I'm just, if you don't believe this is happening right here, right now in America, just think about these things. The, the, the federal government is um, raising taxes uh, dramatically, all the while cutting bigger checks to hand out to everybody. Stimulus checks. Where does that money even come from? Well, they're taking it uh, from the, those who have money to, to distribute it. That is socialism. Okay, the, the next one, think about this, is censorship is increasing. They have to control knowledge. They have to control thought. And so you have things like, um, for those who oppose the dominant view, their books are being pulled from bookstores. I mean, I, I can tell you this. There are books that were on Amazon uh, two years ago that no longer are. Uh, you, you can think about their social media accounts are being deleted. We talk about a cancel culture. That's what this is. They literally hit delete. <laughs> I mean, they say, we don't like your view. It does not fit the socialist uh, pattern. And so we are deleting your social media account and even credentials you know, professional credentials are being pulled for those with dissenting opinions. This is happening in the United States right now. Teachers and even parents are now getting in trouble at public schools for questioning the confusing and perverse curriculum being taught to young children. Who, who is pushing that curriculum? That would be our, our government that is, that is saying, here are the things that we believe your children need to know at five years old, even though it is completely twisted. And they are getting in trouble. Teachers are getting fired. Parents are getting hushed and told their children will be removed from the school if they don't be quiet about the curriculum. This is government training, educating, saying, no, we will be the ones influencing, educating. And finally, just the last example I will give you is the state of Washington. So not Washington, D.C. The state of Washington is now a so-called sanctuary state where underage children can legally run away from their parents, come to Washington, and be adopted by the state. The state will protect the children, meaning they will not even tell the parents where their child is, dismantling the family unit. These things are happening at a rapid pace, and I could give way more examples than that. 
And so we say, why would anyone accept this ideology? Why would anyone want to walk down a path that leads to totalitarianism? Why would anyone do that? Why would anyone want to lose the right of privately owned businesses and property? Now, the the issues go too deep and too complex for me to fully uh, unwrap here, because I'm still just in the intro. But but here's what it comes down to. I I want you to understand this. Not, Not everyone who... Is, is for socialism, is trying to bring in totalitarianism and communism or anti-religion, anti-God uh, dogma. They're not all trying to do that. And this is where it gets tricky. We've talked about this before, but there is a false narrative being spun for us right now. And the, the purpose is a false narrative is to condemn those who oppose the view that it actually is the one in the wrong. And so right now it would be said things like this. If you don't want socialism, you are either blind or you are unloving, uncaring, and incompassionate. Because what socialism claims to do, and this is again why people are for it, even uh, within churches and and Christians, is it says there's all this oppression, there's all this poverty it's fueled by greed and materialism and and things like that and if we simply just make it all a communal pot and let the government redistribute it then the poor will be taken care of the disadvantaged will receive advantages and you know make it in this life and so that's what they'd say is you christians you're just unloving uncaring you're racist i mean these are all again this is nothing out out there this is how these conversations go you are all these things if you do not agree with socialism that is the narrative that's being pushed by um, big media outlets by by social media that's that's what uh, college professors are pushing this is what's starting to make it into a curriculum in the public schools they say look at america look at the poverty look at the the, the disadvantaged, this is what free enterprise has done. We need socialism. That is what they say. And so Christians feel intimidated spiritually and emotionally intimidated by these things. And so they begin to accept it. And so I want us to be better prepared by God's word, not by the whims of society, not by the cultural fashions, but by God's word. And so how are we as Christians to think of these things? It's, it's confusing even. It's because it's, you say, well, yes, compassion. Yes, love, care, like, yes. But what are we to think about socialism? Now, here's the place that I think we actually need to start. And I think you can even, if you're in a conversation with someone pushing socialism, I think this would be a smart thing to say. Number one, society has big problems. The Christian, the Bible-believing, Bible-loving Christian can say wholeheartedly in agreement with the uh, socialist, society does have big problems. You are right. Materialism in America is a big problem. I agree. Greed and oppression of the poor is a big problem. There, There are many disadvantaged people in this world. And and, and we we say these things because why? why? Why can we agree with this? Because this book, the Bible, agrees with this. 
I would say more than any book in the whole world, it agrees that society has very big problems. Yes, these are problems. When you think about even our verse today, I put it up there, you shall not steal. If society doesn't have problems, you don't have to give that command. You give that command because there is greed, there is covetousness, and there is theft going on. And so God gives this command. God wholeheartedly agrees that society has big problems, and so he gives this command, you shall not steal. The Bible is not bashful about uncovering the problems of humanity. And the the Bible, again, excuse me, talks about many things of, of the poor, the orphan, the widow, It's all through there. And I want to say this, uh, opposed to what what the socialist says, Christians really should care. We really should care about these very big problems. I I, I think about uh, this verse, 1 John 3, 17. He says this, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, How does God's love abide in him? That is, if we can look out and and say, yeah, there's all this oppression and greed and poverty and disadvantage, but I don't care because I'm okay, that is a big problem according to the Bible. Christians do and very much so should care about these big problems. And so that's where we need to start in thinking about this issue is, yes, Socialists, there are big issues, and yes, I really do care. I really do want solutions. I really do want help for those who need it. But wouldn't that lead us to accept socialism, to advocate for socialism? I mean, it claims to be the cure for the world's ills, all these issues. It says we have the solutions. So why Would a good, compassionate Christian reject socialism if it claims to help the disadvantaged? This is when you're feeling that intimidation, right? They're saying you're unloving, you're uncaring, you Christians, and you say, I'm I'm feeling intimidated right now. Why, Why should you not in that moment say, fine, I'm all in, like sign me up for the rally? Here's the next point. Number one was society has big problems. Number two is this, socialism has bigger problems. And this is what, again, we need to understand from God's word. But I would even tell you this, even if you didn't have access to a Bible, if you only had access to a history book, you could see that socialism has bigger problems. Now, I do want to start with the Bible first, though, not not just history because that that is primarily what I am interested in. And so the first thing I want to show you, the first big problem of socialism is this. Socialism opposes the Bible. I mean, it not only explicitly does, but it it does in its actions. And so I just kind of want to show you this first. The Bible encourages private ownership. Socialism says, no, the community owns all the goods, which, by the way, really means the government owns all the goods and gives you what they want of it. But anyways, I would say the Bible encourages private ownership. Again, Exodus 20, 15, this this verse that that we're studying, this, this commandment, you shall not steal. So at the human level, why is stealing wrong? 
Well, it's taking possession of something that is owned by another. And so without private ownership, this commandment is unintelligible. God assumes that people will own things which could be stolen. That is why there is a command, do not steal. The foundation for this command is that there is such a thing as private ownership of goods. Nowhere, we just need to understand this, nowhere in the Bible is ownership condemned or called sin. The love of money and the love of worldly goods, now that is called a sin. That's called the root of of all kinds of evil, in fact. The love of money, the love of possessions. But owning a business, making money, purchasing goods, these things are not sin according to the Bible. In fact, you think about the heroes in the Bible and all the stuff they owned. Abraham had to part with Lot. Why? Because they had too many animals that the, 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 the land couldn't even support it. You think of Job. He was exceedingly wealthy. It was wiped out. But then as God brought him through that trial, but you come to the end of the book and God actually increased his wealth. Again, I don't believe the Bible uh, condones extravagance or hoarding our goods, but it certainly does not condemn wealth, owning things, having private property. And so socialism opposes the Bible in that the Bible encourages private ownership, whereas socialism at its fullest form says, no, you cannot own your own stuff. Secondly, what I want to show you, socialism discourages the hard work God commands. Socialism discourages the hard work God commands. I I put up there a couple verses, uh, 2 Thessalonians 3.10, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. This is God's word. This is Paul to the Thessalonians, and this is God's inspired word. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Yet socialism says, no, you will be rewarded with provisions whether or not you do any work. Even if you're fully capable but don't do work, we are still going to uh, give you provisions. You see uh, that, that, oh, I did the wrong one first. First uh, Timothy 5.18, so the, the top verse there. The laborer deserves his wages. Okay, so there's this foundational issue. And that, by the way, is actually quoting the Old Testament. Uh, The laborer deserves his wages. But this is the idea that when someone works, they deserve to be paid for the work that they have done. Socialism says, no, you will not be rewarded based on how much work you do. Rather, you will just receive the same amount of goods and provisions as everyone else. And so what happens, tell me, what happens when the person who leans toward laziness but still works because they need to eat and have clothes and pay their house? What happens when provisions are just given to the person with a leaning toward laziness? They obviously just stop working. And again, we see this happen in our society right now. They say, wait, you're telling me I can get a check in the mail for doing nothing, that I can actually make more money for doing nothing than if I did something. (laughs) Like, okay, then I'm going to just chill at home. And then you tell me this, the laborer deserves his wages. 
what happens to the person who has a good work ethic, who, who is motivated to work hard when they are told, no matter how hard you work, it will not be rewarded. You'll get the same as the person who stays home on their couch. What are they going to do? This is de-incentivizing is kind of the word that's often used. They, they remove the incentive for hard work, yet God commands hard work. It's discouraging the hard work that God commands. I'll show you one, one other verse here. It says there, let the thief no longer steal, right? We're talking about do not steal. Does, does, does it say, up here on the, on the screen, does it say, let the thief no longer steal, but rather provide for him everything that he needs so that he won't be tempted to steal anymore? No, that's not what it says. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. The alternative to stealing is not getting free stuff. The alternative to stealing is work, labor, honest work with our hands. That is what God's word teaches. That is what socialism opposes. Again, not on the face of it. They would never say we're, we're trying to produce lazy, unproductive, unmotivated people. But that's what their policies and um, laws and, and all of this do. Now, we notice that that, that one's actually going to lead us a little further because it says there, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share. And here we are going to see another biblical virtue, nay, command that socialism removes. This is the next thing that socialism does, how it opposes the Bible. Socialism exchanges compassion for coercion. So coercion, by the way, is forced. You are forced to give of your possessions. Whereas compassion says, I want to give of my possessions. I want to help you in time of need. Again, we see that right there in the, in the context of stealing. And our, our verses, do not steal, you shall not steal. Let the thief no longer steal, rather let him labor. And then, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. In socialism, you do not earn a living, so you have nothing to share an attempt to, you know, quench materialism and any, any excess, that means we have no excess with which we can support others. The government makes profit off your work or however you want to think about that. And then they say they will take care of the needy. You just do your thing and we will do ours. We will take care of other people. You just keep, you know, making us money here. And so what that means is we don't get to worship God as he commands with glad generosity. And we'll see this principle again, by the way, that this is the way God wants it. Compassion, not coercion, generosity, not, not government mandated giving. Uh, Exodus 25 verses uh, 1 and 2. Yep, okay, making sure I had it up there. Exodus 25, 1 and 2. So this is coming up uh, real soon in Exodus. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel that they, that they may take for me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. 
Do you hear that? That's really important that right here after this Exodus, um, the Ten Commandments, you know, you shall not steal. God now says, from every man whose heart moves him, you shall, take, you shall receive the contribution for me. God desires for us to give from our hearts, not because we have to. This is the way God wants things. And so God does not want it to be government-mandated giving that then the government will take care of other people. Uh, you see it in 2 Corinthians 9, 7. This is just so explicit. It's wild. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Wait, wait, wait. Everything about socialism is reluctantly and under compulsion. Please get that. We're talking jail time, gun in your face, compulsion. Russia, China, Korea, we're talking gun in your face, go to jail, compulsion. Each one must give as he's decided in his own heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. There is something God desires, and it is cheerful giving, glad generosity from our hearts to meet the needs of others. This is what God wants, not coerced giving that then the government then redistributes to the poor. Now, at this point, I, I need to bring up a socialistic argument because, I, you know, I'm giving you one side um, of what I think here. But they would say, well, what about Acts 5? Acts chapter 5. You're probably familiar with this story um, if you've, you've been in the church long and read your Bible much. There, Ananias and Sapphira lose their lives after withholding some of the contribution they make to the church. This is after Pentecost and, and things are going really great for the church and they withhold some. We're going to read it right here. But the socialists would say, doesn't that passage prove that, that God desires socialism because they held some back for themselves and that's why they lost their lives? That's what the socialists would say. Here's what I would say to you is, Read the passage, <laughs> find out, is that what the passage says? Does Acts chapter 5 support socialism? All right, I think I've got it. Yeah, here we go. Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. So this is the story. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. So I'll pause there. That's where the socialist says, see they, they, they sold their property, and, but they didn't give all the proceeds uh, to the church, to the apostles. And so this is why God uh, puts them to death. But let's continue reading the Holy Spirit-inspired word. Verse 3, But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie? This doesn't say anything about to withhold, to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. Listen to this. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own property? After, uh, sorry, and after, uh, man, and after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. So again, you see twice there, Peter explicitly names what the sin is that they did that has them put to death. They both do lose their lives. Lying. I, I, I highlighted it in red up there. Why have you lied? Why have you lied? And then 
we need to see here that this actually, rather than supporting socialism, undercuts socialism. Look at it there in verse 4. He's saying, while it, the property, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? Wasn't it your personal property? It was your property. Then he says, and after it was sold, was not it at your disposal? So you, you had a property, it was yours. You didn't have to sell it. And after you sold the property, you didn't have to give the money to the church to support the, the poor. You didn't have to do any of that. It was yours to do with as you please. Yet you pretended, you lied. He says here, you have lied not only to man, but to God. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. You've lied by saying you gave the full proceeds of the sale. You were trying to look good. You were trying to look more generous, more sacrificial, more loving than you really are. And that is why God put him to death. But actually in this, it is shown that Peter says it was your property. It wasn't property of the church. God didn't desire for it just to become communal property. And then it was your money. Your, your money is your money. You don't have to give it to us. You, didn't have, you just didn't have to lie about it. And so we see even, even one of the strongest arguments uh, for socialism in the Bible actually undercuts socialism and, and, and reinforces God's desire for private ownership and glad generosity. Now, that is the Bible. And again, I have more of these that I had to cut out of my sermon. But the Bible just, that, that's only talking about possessions. We haven't even talked about the, the parents' Uh, rights over their children, the parents' responsibilities for influencing, educating, training up their children. We haven't even talked about those things, but we're talking about do not steal. So I'm, that's only with talking about possessions. That is how it opposes God's word. But the second thing we need to understand about this uh, ideology that purports that it is compassionate, it is loving, it is helpful, is this. Socialism increases oppression and poverty. Socialism, without fail, historically increases, not alleviates, oppression and poverty. You take the, the oppressors from being uh, rich, greedy, uh, you know, business owners, <clears throat> and all you do is you transfer it to who? Government. Government is not like some machine that you turn on. The government is people running the government. And so what you end up having is now the oppressors, the greedy ones, the ones who were uh, exploiting people, instead of just being able to say you're fired or throw their, their weight around, they now hold the sword, uh, as the Bible talks about. The government bears the sword. They can now, the oppressors can now throw you in jail if you don't follow their socialistic ways. And by the way, this is, again, every single time, these government officials say, we're trying to alleviate poverty. And what happens is they get very rich because they are very greedy and they are corrupt. They get very rich and the poor get poorer and everyone else gets dragged down with them. And you can trace it through the history of nations. It was very interesting uh, reading about this stuff. Venezuela was just uh, a startling example in, in relatively recent history of one of the, the greatest economic uh, nations in the world. And in just a matter of, uh, I believe it was 20 years, I mean, just one of the harshest, oppressing, murderous, the number count in, in socialistic nations of people put to death for opposing socialism or because of the socialistic uh, laws is absolutely startling. 
I, I heard one guy, uh, it's David Jeremiah, by the way, if you listen to the radio, um, something I was listening to from him. He said, if you combine World War I and World War II, which are the highest uh, body count um, wars, you combine that, you'd have to double them again to uh, get to what socialism has done. Socialism is not compassionate. It is not loving. I, I understand that it wears that badge, and I understand that they can make arguments for how everyone will be cared for, everyone will be treated with equality and equity, which means, you know, it's perfectly distributed, but that is not what happens. It only gives the oppressors greater power. It only de-incentivizes those who would otherwise work, and it gets worse and worse and worse. And, and oftentimes what happens as well is for the government to keep control, what they have to do is instill fear. And so they, they cause chaos. They cause riots. I mean, watch, again, watch the America News. They, 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 they set these things up so that riots will happen to divide the people so everyone will need the country to swoop in and rescue them. And so they can have their control. It increases oppression and poverty. There is no good example of socialism either in the Bible or in history. It simply does not work. Those countries that have not yet become complete oppressors, they're just simply at one stage in the path if they last that long to, to getting there. And again, it's not just economic. It's not just finances. It is, it is our, our freedoms to, freedom of religion. I mean, it is anti-God. They believe that God and religion will undercut their ideology and their power. And, their, and so they, they say, no, you cannot follow God. This is where it leads. And so we got to review where we've been so far. Society has big problems. Yes, the Bible affirms that. Our eyes affirm that. And we as Christians really should care. Something needs to change. But socialism has bigger problems. What, what claimed to have the cure actually is part of the disease, increases, speeds up the disease. And so where do we turn? And this is number three, the good news. Salvation is the only answer. Salvation in Jesus Christ, his purchase on the cross, his resurrection, his promise, and his transformation brought into the hearts of believers is the only answer to these problems both now and for eternity. See, the problem with socialism is that it seeks to solve the wrong problem with the wrong solution. We talked about this a moment ago. In, in socialism, it just exchanges who's oppressing. It takes it from the, the citizen and puts it into the government. And, and there's that corruption there. And it, it never stops because there are always sinful people pursuing sinful motives in these positions. This is, by the way, why we have trouble right now doing free enterprise. Like we have greed, we have oppression, we have corruption, we have materialism. Why? Because this world is full of sinful people with sinful hearts that do sinful things to one another. The root is we don't love God, so we don't love one another. And this is how it comes out. This is how it comes out. There, there are problems, but the problems are not uh, the circumstances. The problem isn't uh, the, the situation people are in, so they're just oppressed. 
No, the problem is sin. Each and every human. So while socialism may break us free from the so-called yoke of free enterprise, it is absolutely powerless to break humans free from the yoke of sin and greed and covetousness and theft and materialism. It cannot do it. But the good news is Jesus can, he has, he does, he will. Jesus can change people. Society will not change through, through government reform. Society will change through individuals giving their lives as servants of Jesus Christ, trusting in his salvation and being transformed by him. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 6 through 9. Or sorry, 1, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. This is what Paul says. He says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, do not steal, nor the greedy, these are the, the greedy oppressors, keep taking, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, these are people that, that uh, they swindle you. I don't know. I don't know a good synonym there. They will, inherit, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't you know that none of them will inherit the kingdom of God? Verse 11, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Were we a part of the problem? Were we a part of the, the corruption? Were we a part of the materialism, the oppression? Yes, at some level, you know, anyways, but Jesus, we were washed, we were sanctified, we were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. I, I think about it this way, Jesus accomplished this, this washing, this change, both before God and before men, and the Holy Spirit applies it in a powerful way. This is what we see happen in Acts. This is Pentecost. This is when things change. Because when we have trusted in Christ Jesus, we not only receive a clean record of debt, our sins washed away, we receive a new heart. We receive new motivations. We receive new desires, new compassion, new mercy, new love. This is what happens when we trust in Jesus Christ. Greedy people become generous. Lazy people begin to labor. Callous people become compassionate. And so please understand, socialism will not solve the problem because it does not deal with the sinful heart. In fact, it undercuts the very one who could change things, namely Jesus Christ, faith in him being transformed by him. Now, again, th this is what happens in the book of Acts. And you say, okay, so people get saved. Is that really gonna solve any problems? Well, it did. Acts chapter 4, this is right after Pentecost. This happens in chapter 2 as well, but I, I picked up the chapter 4 one. It says this, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. I would note, they did belong to him. 
He had personal possessions, but he did not say it belonged to him. He did not hold tightly. No, that's mine. You can't have any of it. So he did not, no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Verse 34, there was not a needy person among them. Do you see that? Where, where socialism falls flat on its face, salvation in Jesus Christ works. The people become compassionate. The people renounce greed and materialism. They say, these are my things, but I don't need them. They don't possess my heart. Here, you need some things. Here you go. If there's a need, I want to fulfill it. There was not a needy person among them. Isn't that what we want? If, if, if we're a Christian, don't we desire to see these big problems uh, solved, these needs met? It's what socialism claims to offer, but it never does. And it is clear from God's word that the only way it happens is through faith in Jesus Christ. That is the good news. And so this is the society. This is the world we live in. We have this command, do not steal, that helps us to see what sort of society God desires, one of heartfelt generosity and compassion and care. So how do Christians respond to a society pushing socialism? How, how do Christians respond to a society pushing socialism? The first thing I want to give you is this, fear not. I am not trying to make you walk out of here fretting and anxious about yourself, about uh, your children. I got kids too that I got to bring up in this mess. But how many times, I wish I'd have looked it up, how many times, fear not, do not be afraid, for I am with you, says God. Look, socialism is a huge problem. It is a, a huge um, threat. But Jesus is a far bigger victor. He is much more powerful than either socialism or sin. And Jesus has on the cross won the victory. Understand, he has won the victory. None of it can touch him. He still presides over this universe. Absolutely. And so we are not to be afraid when we are intimidated. Again, fear, intimidation, that this, this is the type of thing that tries to, um, that socialistic people try to do to push us their way and governments do to push us that way to give them, you know, more power. They want fear to be intimidated into conformity, but we are to be a different sort of people because we have a different sort of king. We are to be unmoved, unshaken people because we stand on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. And you can be sure that Jesus will have all his enemies put under his feet. You can be sure that a day will come when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You can be sure that that will happen. Socialism will not wipe out God as it is trying to do. The victory has already been won in the cross and resurrection. So we do not have to be afraid where this world is going. And Jesus will be our king. He will rule, he will reign with righteousness and perfect justice. We will not have to worry about these things for eternity. Corruption will be no more one day. Secondly, I put it up there, declare the truth of Jesus. You know, 
we whine and complain about what the government's doing. We balk at the, how dare they? The only thing that can actually change the stuff we're whining and complaining about is salvation in Jesus Christ. And how can they call upon him of whom they have never heard, Paul says in Romans. How can people believe and be saved and be transformed into those who love and care for and are generous to one another if they have not trusted in Jesus to say nothing of their eternal destiny, by the way? The only way this sort of change can come even in measure in the lives of, of people and in society is through individuals coming to a saving, transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we need to share, we need to declare the truth of Jesus to people. Again, I'd say for every time you complain or, or anything like that about these laws, or, that, that's one more time you should be sharing the gospel with someone because that's the only thing that will bring true change. You need to share Jesus. And by the way, I'd say this uh, for our children, what hope do they have in this socialistic world that's pushing it, that, that, that they're trying to... Uh, imbibe them with these socialistic ideas and anti-God ideas. How do we help them? We declare the truth, dads. We declare the truth, moms. We tell them the truth. When you know the truth, you're not tempted to chase the lies. This is what we do. And then finally, I put it up there, be the community the world needs to see. The world says there's all these problems out there and you Christians are a part of the problem. We should be ones that are, are so transformed by God, so loved by God that we love one another in such a way that we can say, really, we're a part of the problem? Come, come see my church. <laughs> see, see how we care. Let me, in fact, let me tell you a story of what happened the other day. This family was in this situation. Here's what my church did for them. You see, proclaiming the gospel happens with our lips, but we prove the gospel with our lives. And so we need to actually be the community this world needs to see. They need to see it and say, oh, wow, that is what we want. Not socialism, not the government taking control, uh, suppressing, regulating everything. We want that because... Rather than being regulated, those people are free and what they are doing with their freedom is using it to serve and love one another. This is what we need to be. And, and this isn't just pie in the sky, high hopes that this will make a change in other people. This is what the Bible promises. First uh, Peter 2.12, I, I got up there on the screen. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, that's the unsaved, honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, you're just unloving, you're uncaring, you don't have any compassion so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That isn't just that they say, oh, wow, that's neat. No, they glorify God. <laughs> it's saying they will see, even though they, they, they throw, they hurl insults at us, they are put to shame and from this, they glorify God on the day of visitation. Evidently, this is a part of leading them to salvation in Jesus Christ. This is what God says. This is what we are supposed to do. This is how we are to respond. When we see a need, we meet it. 
When we see an area uh, needing service, we serve, we love, we forgive, we encourage, we, we get close to one another. These are the things that the world sees, takes notice, and they desire the, the, the gospel that we proclaim because of it. I would say socialism and this movement is actually an opportunity for us. Do you realize that? While the world is being divided by, by racism and economic status and all these things, we get to be the ones who are united. We can, can be the ones who are compassionate, loving, caring. We get to be the ones to show the world with a stark contrast how good it is to know the Lord and to serve Him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for reminding us 